Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. We welcome all of you on Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio across this nation, a conversation with the 29th Secretary of Labor of the United States. Marty Walsh, I have never had, it's a certain moment, this kind of conversation with the Secretary of Labor. I consider it to be, for all Americans, especially key. I want to start at the top of your Twitter feed, where you say, very simply, investing in our workforce is investing in our infrastructure. I want you to identify right now why that infrastructure legislation is so important for creating jobs in America. Now, first of all, Tom, thank you for having me today. Uh, it's important because it's about the future of America. It's about keeping us competitive, keeping us number one in the world. Uh, it's about long-term investment, that infrastructure plan that President Biden has been talking about. It is about the CARES economy. It's about electric grid. It's about broadband. It's about roads and bridges. It's about schools. It's about clean drinking water. It really is about laying down the foundation for the next decade in America to continue to move us forward. Uh, this last year has been difficult with a pandemic. We've seen a, a lot of inequities in, 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 our, in our economy. We've seen unemployment rates in, in, in communities of color, the black community and Latino community a lot lower. Uh, that's been historic. Uh, this plan is about building mm -hmm. back better. It's about creating pathways into the middle class. Your economic pros at labor have made real clear one month a disappointment. Now this month, okay, maybe less of a disappointment, but nevertheless, back-to-back -back months where we can celebrate lots of restaurant, leisure, and hospitality coming back to work, but maybe with the rest of America, including manufacturing jobs, it was a little soggy. Why was it from where you sit? Well, I, I think because we're still recovering from a pandemic, and I think we saw some, we saw good gain, or decent gain, I should say, in the manufacturing sector this month. We saw gain in the education government sector this month. We saw gain, obviously, in the leisure hospitality this month. So we've seen gains in different places, but we still got to have to remember that, uh, you know, the economic hit to the economy, to jobs back last March, uh, March, April, and May were devastating in a lot of ways, and we, we, we can't just flip a switch. But we, uh, right? This is a this is a positive positive report. Uh, certainly, I would love to be able to stand here and say seven million jobs came back, mm -hmm. but unfortunately, that's that's not how the economy works, and that's not how the the the, the, the system works right you, now. I mean, you learned this as mayor of Boston, the idea that you got to be a little bit patient on policy as well. I'm not going to get into what the president's going to talk about in here in a bit, and you'll hear that on Bloomberg Radio and television, uh, folks. The idea of what we're going to do between Republicans and Democrats. I want you to talk about your responsibility, which is a better wage. So many Americans before the pandemic, in the pandemic, haven't seen that better wage. Can you say you see wage growth now? We saw a little bit of wage growth this month, and that's encouraging, uh, you know, and I think that we need to continue to see, hopefully, wage growth as we move forward. That's also part of the American Jobs Plan. That's part of the president's economic plan to, to create opportunities for people to get into the middle <clears throat> class, and that's a good thing. I mean, we, we saw it with the pandemic, unemployment, lots of people talking about the unemployment rate, people not going back to work. I don't necessarily agree with that. But what we want to see is as people get off unemployment, right. as people get back to work, they have opportunities to earn more money. 
Marty Walsh, long ago and far away, almost a matter of 10 or 20 years ago, you were with Laborers Union Local 223 in Boston. You live the union model. There's a lot of people out there, Republicans and even some Democrats, they're afraid of the union model. They're afraid of what President Biden speaks about, about the atomization of the American labor economy and a need to get back to something that you actually lived as a young adult. How close are we to getting back to what you lived, a better union America? Well, I think we have a ways to go, but, but we're working towards it. The labor movement certainly is more popular when you poll it. Uh, labor movement stands for, 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 for supporting workers and, and advocating for good wages and benefits and moving forward. And, and people shouldn't be afraid of the labor movement. The labor movement, we need to make sure that the labor movement works with businesses. As mayor of the city of Boston, as the head of the building trades in Boston, as a worker, as a state representative, I always felt collaboration was important. And I think having these conversations as we move forward, right. no, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be looking. Business shouldn't be identified as bad. Labor shouldn't be identified as bad. We should be talking about how do we move our economy forward together. But Marty, entrepreneurs. Americans. Some would suggest it's more GOP-based. I don't know if that's true or not. But I would respectfully suggest that entrepreneurial America is scared stiff of the rising wages they see right now. How do you respond to self-starting small business in America? I mean, I think we have to tell people, the entrepreneurs in America, you, we need to, you need to help share the wealth. You need to make sure that your employees that work for you are treated fairly and paid respectfully because they're the ones that are making sure the product or whatever you're doing uh, are carrying it forward. And it is nothing wrong with making sure that American workers are paid a good wage for a good day's pay, good, good day's work, I should say. Let's Th go. That's, that's, that's what we should be doing. Let's go to the economics of those two schools on the Charles River then. It's real simple. That fair share has got got to come out of higher prices, revenue coming in from the consumer, pricing power in that, or it comes out of a margin compression and a loss of profits. What does the Department Labor of Labor of President Biden advocate? Are we going to see higher prices or are we going to see margin compression? I think, I think when the president's talking about is making sure that we create fair, fair opportunities for everybody. And I think that those conversations mm -hmm. are still to be had. I don't think it, can, it has to be fair. one or the other. Fair. Tell me about labor policy here. You've been there for long enough to get the curtains done. I believe you've got a Boston Red Sox motif on your curtains at labor. That's fine. But I want to know what the Walsh plan is at Department of Labor. We're still working through it, still moving forward. You know, I've been here now. This is my third jobs report and I think my 10th week. Uh, so we're working on how do we continue to support American workers in different types of policies and how do we support American workers. I've spent a lot of time going around this country talking to business, talking to workers, talking to people, and, and we'll continue moving forward uh, in those different conversations. We don't have a plan to lay out to you here right. today on TV, but certainly we're working forward to make sure that, that everyone treat, is treated fairly. I want you to, uh, this is to a Democrat a congressman of Oregon who's seen, uh, you know, his easy wins of years ago become much closer races in Oregon. When you go into a district that's close, where it's Democrats and Republicans right on top of each other, when you go into a district like that, how do you speak to small business and how do you speak to entrepreneurs trying to get business going even with these rising wages? 
Well, quite honestly, I've been talking about the American Jobs Plan and the impacts of the American Jobs Plan. The American Jobs Plan is, is, is not a plan just for workers. It's a plan for America. And, and there are benefits in this plan for everyone. This plan for entrepreneurs, for small businesses, large businesses, main streets, back streets, uh, workers. Uh, it, it really is a plan about, about keeping America very at, at the forefront of competition in the world. And, and that's what I talk to people. And when, when you get a chance to talk to them about it and the different aspects of the plan, everyone loves something in the plan, whether it's broad broadband access, mm -hmm. energy, clean drinking water, new schools. Right. Everybody loves something in the plan. So it really is talking about, you know, the, this plan, the American Jobs Plan, is not a Democratic plan. It's not a Republican plan. It's a plan for America. And hopefully we can get back to having those conversations in this country. I want you to speak for Janet Yellen this morning. The president went big yesterday and moved the corporate tax down to 15 percent. What do you, Secretary Yellen and the president, need to see from the Republicans now in this infrastructure debate? Well, hopefully we can, I mean, we're definitely seeing conversations happening. We're definitely seeing negotiations happening here. The president made it very clear from the very beginning that he wanted this bill to be worked on by all sides, and, and, and he intended to have people sitting at the table with him. He has done an amazing job with that. I am talking to, to all sides as well. I'm talking to Democrats, Republicans about this bill. And I think that we're seeing, I don't want to say progress yet, but we're definitely seeing movements in, in the right direction as far as this major piece of legislation, infrastructure legislation for our country. Secretary Walsh, thank you so much for joining Bloomberg. Worldwide on radio and television, this is Bloomberg. With a restatement almost in this pandemic, all the different dynamics that we see within our financial system and our economics. That is a perfect uh, segue into the former governor, the Federal Reserve System, Randall Krosner, joins us now, the Booth School, Chicago, ensconced, I believe, in London, where he's been uh, for many months. Professor, thank you so much for starting, uh, letting us start strong on this jobs day. As you see this labor economy and the battle of our politics as well, how close are we to fully employed? So we're not there yet. Um, we clearly have a very strong labor market. Even though the print last month was for a low number of jobs, it's clear that we have lots of reports of labor shortages. We see that in the, the Fed Beige book. We see that in just talking to, uh, to, to uh, business people. Uh, it's a strong labor market. We're recovering very quickly. But a lot of people aren't coming back into the jobs market. Um, part of that is because they've just decided it's too volatile, it's too risky, I'm going to stay out. And part of it is they're getting some very good benefits that eventually will, will fall off. So it's, I think it's pretty tight. And I think the thing to focus on will be what's happening with, with wages, exactly as you guys were, were discussing. The numbers could bounce all over the place, and it could be, be lower yeah. because of high constraints, it could be higher because of high demand. But I think we have to look through that and sort of see what is it, what is the wage pressure that's coming in? I think that's really going to be the key. You know, Governor Krosner, a, a very careful and scary course at the University of Chicago is economics for liberal arts majors. It's just, you know, just a, it's a frightening <laughs> event to see. And I'm sure what you're doing in economics for liberal arts majors is underscoring the complexity of our labor system. Neil Dudd at Renaissance Macro absolutely nails the key distinction right now is are we seeing a longer work week? Or are we seeing more jobs? At some point, that flips to more jobs, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, uh, and clearly, if you look at the number of job openings that are out there, it's enormous. Uh, there's been an enormous increase in that. And we're also seeing that uh, people are willing to quit their jobs 
they only quit their jobs a lot when they feel pretty confident that they can get another one. And so, so I think the, um, there are lots of job openings out there. There will be lots of opportunities for people. It's just, are there enough incentives for people to come back into the labor market? What um, do you think of this paradigm change that we're watching, Randall Krosner, in terms of the shift from monetary policy over the last 40 years from the Reagan-Volker era to this new era of basically MMT? Um, it seems that the freshwater economists have all been drowned in salt water here. Um, there's no more trust in free markets. There's no more uh, real business cycle. There's no more monetarism. Um, What's the point, then, of the Chicago Booth uh, School? I'm not quite sure that uh, we, we've, been, uh, we've been drowned quite, quite yet. I think there's still a lot of belief in, uh, in the power of markets and the, the value of, uh, of market economy. I mean, that's a lot of what's driving the recovery. Think about what happened during the pandemic. It was the innovative sectors that were allowing people to get food, to get uh, the things that they uh, they needed. So uh, I think that's still a, a super important driving force. Think about the uh, uh, the creation of the vaccines. That was um, uh, you know very much uh, a market driven uh, a market driven phenomenon. So, but um, professor, we're going to run up debts of 120, 130 percent of GDP. Is that concerning to economists in America? Oh, for sure. That's a separate issue. And so I think that's a very important one. Uh, it seems that there's, um, there's a desire on some people in Washington to kind of supplant the, the private sector investment with government sector investment, uh, with uh, private activity, with uh, more government-sponsored activity. That is a real challenge. And I think there are many economists, not just in, in Chicago, but throughout the country who are very concerned about that, concerned about the burden that we're putting on future generations. Somebody's got to repay this debt. And that's going to be the future generations. And, Professor, we've increasingly heard that there's no amount of tax increases that can cover that. And so you do have to bring in the private sector to help fund some of the public investments. Do you see that as a realistic possibility? I think that's extremely important, and I think that's extremely valuable. And so we can have good public-private partnerships, uh, like the one uh, with the so-called Operation Warp Speed, which helped to, uh, to allow Moderna, who had never produced a vaccine before, now to be producing perhaps a billion vaccines this year. So there can be valuable public-private partnerships. There can be valuable aspects of government spending. But you've got to be careful to make sure that it has payoff. Because if it doesn't have payoff in helping to grow productivity and helping to grow the economy, it's going to put an unbearable burden on future generations. Governor Crosser, I want to go Chicago on you. And that is over the financial integrity of the system. You're one of our great voices on this. I know you're on your laptop at some shishi cafe in London, day trading AMC or GameStop. Randy, what in God's name does this mean for the system? I mean, you and I are making jokes about this, but you know a lot of money's going to be made, a lot's going to be lost. Regulators are clearly doing next to nothing on this. What's the impact of this on the trust in the bid and the trust in the ask? I think it's a super important question because the integrity of the markets is crucial. And, and we've seen a lot of newcomers into markets and we've seen a lot of coordination of those newcomers in markets in ways that we hadn't seen before, people using technology. So regulators need to be aware of that and market participants need to be aware of that greater volatility. And we want to make sure that market, markets function well. We don't want sudden stops of, uh, of, of trading that where people feel that they are 
not being treated fairly and other people can get in and out and they can't. And so I think that does need, uh, that means a regulatory rethink for the new era where there are a lot more people coming in and uh, people coordinate in, in ways that they couldn't before. So the little guys all working together can be much better, bigger than, and more important than the, the traditional big guys. Professor Cross, well, we'll have to leave it there. Professor Krauser, thank you so much for joining us today with the Booth School at the University of Chicago and of course, of course his public service as a governor of the Federal Reserve uh, System. David Jones with us to begin this hour, this Jobs Day hour, with Bank of America Securities and their global investment strategists. But much more, David, I want to talk about your tour of duty at the Fed and then at the International Monetary Fund. You wrote many things on tapered tantrums. Is the tantrum to come anything that, like what you wrote about years ago at the IMF? Well, the thing about tantrums, of course, is that they are unexpected by their very nature. Uh, you know, our belief is, uh, and, and the work that we did at the IMF, and, uh, you know, even, as, even at the Fed, of course, we were obviously very concerned with these issues. When you start to see the Fed move towards tightening, when you start to see the Fed reduce its monetary accommodation, uh, that allows volatility to pick up again. And in ways, there are, there are mechanisms in which these mm. things become uh, self-augmenting, and then you can have a sudden surge of volatility. Uh, when that happens, where that happens, you, you can never completely predict. The inertial forces here, David Jones, are critical. And you have a subhead in your Michael Hardner report where you say the Fed is dithering. How does the Fed dithering play into this morning's jobs report? Well, this is the policy of the Fed at the moment. The Fed wants to see, you know, the whites of the eyes of inflation before they actually, uh, before they actually make their move, um, and so they have to see these numbers pick up. Um, what we're expecting today is, uh, you know, you know, if you are a bull, for instance, what you want to see is a very high jobs number, and you want to see average hourly earnings at a very low, perhaps 0.2 percent or lower. Uh, that's really what you're going to need as a bull to continue with that attitude. David, what if we get to a stage here where the inflationary pressures do prove not only to be transitory, but we actually start to see a pullback. And at the same time, we start to realize some of the growth estimates, uh, economic growth estimates in the future here. What does that do here for how the Fed is going to calculate its next move? Well, that is, you know, that is actually not our expectation, to be honest. Our expectation is that inflation is going to be uh, less transitory than people think and more permanent. Uh, we also think that growth is peaking here uh, and that in the second half we're actually going to see some slower economic growth. And we're going to move more towards, more towards a stagflationary outcome. Uh, that, is, that is our belief, and, and our market uh, recommendations are based on that framework. Um, if you do see something along with the Fed, uh, what, what you've just outlined, uh, very high growth uh, and very low inflation, you're probably going to have to see the, that the Fed move up uh, and start to indicate that it's going to move faster. It's going to start to wind down QE, perhaps at, a, at an earlier date and at a quicker rate. And then you're going to see the back of the yield curve pick up quite dramatically. 
David, what I love is Romain and I have a raging debate in the afternoons. He thinks inflation's transitory. I think I'm more in your camp. We see it stickier than uh, some other people think. Given that backdrop that you described and the stagflation risk in the second half, how does full faith and credit 10-year bonds react? Well, I mean, you know, I, I guess what you can say is that, the, you know, the first half of this year, uh, you could describe basically as an inflationary boom. <clears throat> Um, and you saw the 30-year running and, the, you know, the as an annualized loss of close to 30 percent, an annualized loss of close to 30 percent, which is really just a staggering number. It's the, the largest loss for the 30-year Treasury in, in 100 years. And you see similar numbers on the on the 10-year as well. Um, so, you know, as far as equities went, you know, this was very positive for cyclicals, but it did temper some of the upside for technology and for corporate bonds as well. Um, and in the in the second half, we think... Uh, as we move towards a slower growth outcome and we continue to see inflation stick around, we think that then argues for a sort of later cyclicals in the equity market. And we think you should also start thinking about some of the you know, quality defensives, uh, particularly staples and utilities. You say a game of two halves and the two halves, well, you know, you can take the two halves of 2021. But, David, I'm going to take the two halves back a decade. And the overlay here that's changed is technology. How does technology play into your Bank of America work as we come out of this horrific pandemic? Does technology advance equity prices or not? Well, technology really benefited from very low interest rates. If you think of technology, uh, it's, it's very, uh, you know, it's correlated with, with duration in that, you know, when when inflation, right. when, when interest rates come down, technology outperforms. We think we're now in an environment where interest rates are going to rise, uh, and that necessitates a switch in your asset allocation framework, and that means perhaps uh, fading technology a bit, particularly at these valuations. David Jones, thank you. Don't be a stranger. David Jones with us, uh, Global Investment Strategist with Bank of America Securities. The 10-year yield has barely moved 1.6267%. That's a good segue into Jeffrey Rosenberg with BlackRock, portfolio manager of their systematic multi-strategy fund. Jeffrey Rosenberg, what I see here on the calculus of your Carnegie Mellon is forget about the y-axis, which is where the financial media is. What really changes with these back-to-back -back labor reports is our guesstimates along the x-axis. How does your x-axis change as you look out into 2021 and into next year? You know, Tom, it's a it's a really difficult headline number to forecast, right? There was a very wide range estimates, and and I think the news here on this payroll report is that you're seeing signs of the supply side constraints to the labor market. And you're seeing, so you're seeing that in some of the headline numbers, you're seeing that in some of the industry numbers. And importantly, go back to the conversation you had a minute ago on average hourly earnings. Despite a likely mixed shift that should have otherwise pushed average hourly hourly earnings downward, we're seeing that increase. And it is a similar story to what we saw in April in that average hourly earnings figure before. So for a long time, we've ignored these figures because they've been very distorted by the mix shift. The fact that you're seeing the increases in spite of the mix shift is really going to feed into this narrative of supply side constraints. Put
pushing up wages, the push up in wages will fuel and continue the debate on whether transitory mm. becomes more permanent because it flows into wage expectations. That's to be seen, but I think that's the really important news out of this report today. Jeff, that's exactly where I want to go. Wages aren't transitory. They're stickier. Once you raise a wage, it's harder to cut it than it is to raise it. So you're going to keep it there if you're an employer, I believe. How does this then fold into some of the break-evens, those inflationary expectations, and we fold over into a two-year yield that is unch on the day? Yeah, look, the, the short-term reactions are parsing the headlines, slightly disappointing number versus some of the wage numbers. But the longer-term dynamic is, you know, not only are wage increases sticky, but wage increases is what helps to maintain your real purchasing power, right? And maintaining real purchasing power is how companies can afford to get passed through. So for the decades in which we heard about the inability to pass through price increases, to the final end consumer, now you're seeing possibly, and this will be the debate, you know, possibly a, 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 a loosening in that dynamic that will feed into this debate around transitory versus permanent. But it's an important contribution uh, to that debate from today's report. So for those folks in the market that are trying to sort of price this out going forward here, Jeff, I mean, we saw earlier in the year there seemed to be pretty broad conviction here uh, about the pace of monetary policy, uh, the renormalization of it, Will. You saw that term premium really shoot up in the first few months of the year. It's kind of flattened out over the last couple of months. And I'm wondering if today's report and the couple other economic data points that we've had over the last couple of weeks is going to change anyone's mind. I don't think so, and and I think what we've had, as you pointed out, right, it was a rapid re-estimation of the economic outlook, the Fed outlook. Uh, that flowed through the report, through the market, and, and now we're seeing a much stronger consolidation. The next phase is really the movement towards the impact on tapering. I think if you look at the totality of today's report. I don't think it really changes the market expectations yep. on the trajectory of that. We'll see some signaling of that to June. You know, mostly it's the end of year into 2022 kind of expectation around tapering. And nothing today's in today's report mm -hmm. really changes that timing. Jeff Rosenberg, I've got to go to the obvious that pros are looking at, which is the ocean of cash that is out there. And it's real simple. It can be overnight reserves. It can be some fancy way you at BlackRock account for it. What do we do into the week and what do we do into June and the summer when we observe this wall of cash doing nothing? Well, the, the excess liquidity in the market has been, you know, the dominant feature of, of everything we're seeing going on, you know, from financial markets to the to the to the meme stock craze. And it's not going away anytime soon. Now, the Fed is talking about starting to talk about talking about uh, tapering and maybe turning down the pace of increase. But for the short run, we are still awash with excess liquidity. And that helps to support a lot of valuations, which you see in the fixed income market across the sectors, very tight levels of spread, very low levels of risk premium. It's a reflection of this excess liquidity. Nothing in today's report is going to change that. And that excess liquidity is, is very much staying with us for, the, for, for a while. Jeff, you mentioned valuations. Gina Martin-Adams of our
Bloomberg equity strategist writes in and says that these higher wage inflationary pressures are the next thing to hit margins when it comes to some of these companies. Is that evaluation concern as well, the squeeze that we might see now on margins? You know, it is. And in the equity market, it's it's a huge theme, right? Because it's about inflation protection, right? So much what we talk about in the fixed income market, tips levels, yield curve, yield curve steepeners. How do you find inflation protection for your portfolio? Well, the equity market, it's about <clears throat> margins and identifying which companies have the pricing power to pass through and not absorb that increase in wages, increase in commodity prices, increase in, in, in uh, prices across the board uh, and not affect their margins. So that's where you're seeing the winners and losers. You're seeing the inflation baskets really focus on these companies where there is pricing power and pass through as an effective place to put investments for this inflationary fear and for inflationary hedges. So it's, it is about margins and it's about identifying where do you have margin compression and where do you have margin stability and expansion. Jeff, when you look at the economic recovery here and the pace that it's on here in the U.S. here and overlay it with what we're seeing in other countries, developed countries primarily here, do you actually see a little bit more resynchronization here of that recovery story? Um, you know, it's an interesting story. It's it's less about resynchronization and a little bit more about kind of sequencing. Uh, you know, the, the U.S. has been out ahead. A lot of this is obviously linked to reopening and the success with vaccinations. Europe is expected to catch up, hasn't uh, there quite yet, but that's not so much resynchronization as it is sequencing. The U.S. success in vaccination, opening first, Europe following. And then, though not often you know, thought of as a, as a developed economy with respect to how you uh, preface the question, you have a very different dynamic going on in, in, in China. Partly a story of sequencing as well. Uh, much earlier into the, into the COVID crisis, much earlier in terms of the reopening. And now, at a, at a different phase in terms of its monetary, fiscal, and credit policy, you know, looking to, to, to be more on the tighter side. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's not really about, uh, uh, you know, synchronous uh, recovery and reopening as much as it is about the sequencing of it. Mm -hmm. Jeff Rosenberg, thank you so much for BlackRock this morning. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and, of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.